and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Margie Hartley, I am so excited to have you as a guest for She's the Boss. Thank you so much for agreeing to do it. Pleasure. Pleasure's all mine, Jules. Well, I'm just dying to hear your story. So let's start out for anybody that's listening and you want to tell them what it is that you do. So I'm a, um, known as an executive leadership coach, but I have a business, a consultancy that right. has a community of experts and we have deep relationships with organisations and businesses to help them be better. So uh, we're, we're with a few differentiations. We're not sort of mining for problems. We're actually mining so you don't need us anymore, not so much mining, but we're, we're having a deep relationship with the organisation so um, they can call on us and our multiple paths of expertise. And in a nutshell, I would say we curate really great experiences for our clients around their needs. And, um, look, we've been doing it for 20 years and we've got a bit of a reputation of really being able to do that well and effectively. Oh, what an interesting model. So um, I was going to say the next thing is why have you set it up? But first, why don't you just explain a little bit more about the fact that you said you have a whole lot of experts that help people. So are you kind of a collective? Have you got – how does yeah, it all so work? so Grand Consulting Group is my business. It's, yeah. Um, I am the sole director. and um, But oh, there's this idea of what's called an associate model where yeah. people um, are reporting in almost like a contractor into a business and then the business sort of gives them hands about work. I like to think of the people that I work with as my colleagues rather than a power dynamic and that there is this community of experts that really trust and know each other and love to do the work. We love what we do. We love sort of leadership development. We love developing teams. We love executive coaching. We love teaching these different creating communities with people at work because work is a really fundamental part of all of our lives. Mm -hmm. We spend so much time there. And um, to be frank, Jules, there is a lot of bullshit spoken about work. There is a lot of management, (laughs) lots of frameworks, lots of people trying to make money from leadership development. The people who work with me, this community of experts in coaching psychology and social psychology and uh, positive psychology and anthropology and sociology, lots of different disciplines come together to actually sometimes solve problems but create opportunities in different workplaces. So we're we're really lucky. We work with 11 of the top 26 companies and we work with three international organisations and it's just all about the relationship. I'm not selling in my product we're actually curating stuff and that's how we like to think of ourselves oh I love it what a great model so why what's the big why why did you set it up in the first place well by default Jules you know like like (laughs) I do very well (laughs) yes like so all great things there was a um really a, a lot of circumstance around it so uh to understand it really yeah. I could take you on the journey to there 
But um, there was a pivotal moment where I had broken my jaw and I had, I was, I was, you know, I was described by another woman at a party as redefining rock bottom. Oh, well, now, isn't that interesting? Because I only said that to someone the other day. A journalist said to me recently, you've got to hit the bottom before you have enough oomph to be able to push off. And I suddenly thought of that idea of falling to the bottom of a swimming pool and that you do have to get right to the bottom before you get the impetus to push up, which I thought was lovely. But so, And I'm dying to hear about um, why (laughs) you hit the bottom. But I want to know how you broke your jaw. (laughs) Well, that's all part of the story. So maybe we can get to that in a moment But uh, because it sort of fits together in a way. But I set it up because I decided that it was time to back myself. I'd been working for other people's businesses for about 10 years and there was really this opportunity to reset and back myself or to actually continue to work for other people. And And you decided to go out on your own. Yeah, yeah. And I bet you've got no regrets. I love it when women do this. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, look. There's a lot. There's been a lot of hard work and oh, a lot yeah. of tears and a lot of, um, you know, really trying to work out what does backing myself actually mean. mean. So it hasn't been easy. So yeah. Okay. So look, you've dangled the carrot long enough. Let's go right the way back, and you can tell me how your career and your life kind of has evolved to now to being able to run your fabulous consultancy. So um, let's, I don't know, let's start in high school. Did you like high school? Did you have a big family, small family? Tell me a bit about those days. I am the youngest of five children. I basically grew up in the Waltons. My family (laughs) were just this really delightful group of positive, warm-hearted, funny people Parents were teachers and academics, not much money, you know, but had no clue. Um, Really, you know, incredible upbringing. But I'm the youngest and the the difference is 12 years for my eldest sibling. And so I spent a fair bit of time with my parents. And when it came to um, I think they were about 50 and I was about 12, and they decided to take three months off around Australia. And I was left behind because my next sister was, I wasn't left behind, by the way. She, (laughs) um, she was, she was self-sufficient. She'd gone off and um, done an exchange to America. And so they took me with them. And the joke is that I spent most of the time sitting in the back seat saying, what can I be when I grow up? What can I be when I grow up? At 12. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't want to be a teacher. I don't want to be a teacher. What can I be when I grow up? And so we exhausted all sorts of possibilities, but I was really, really still went through all of my high school. You know, I, I was a not a really strong academic. I was a you know fairly average student, right? Um, you know, B level student. Um, didn't hit the lights out, but actually actively involved. Deputy school captain. I was the first. Oh, wow. I campaigned to have students on the school council in my public high school, which had never been done before. I campaigned for the girls to be able to wear pants because it was cold. And gosh, were you voted the woman most likely to become prime minister? Because it sounds no, like you should have been. No, 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 Jules, <laughs> you're overplaying this. We're basically in a small public high school in suburban Melbourne. But uh, you know, that's the sort of stuff that I that sort of informs who. I probably wasn't where I was more interested in spending my time. And, you know, um, like 
any kid. I ended like so many of them. I ended up at the age of seventeen. You know, coming out of H, coming out of my BCE or my HSC, yeah. and going, what do I do? I yeah. want to go to uni, but I don't know what to do. And so, I was fascinated by the social sciences. I used to sit in my dad's study reading human behaviour books. I, I, I was, I was craving to understand the social intelligence and the connectivity that happened with people in groups. Always fascinated by people right. in groups and how they came together and how change happened. So I went to Monash University and did an arts degree and yep. was exposed to amazing thinkers like Peter, Peter Singer and, uh, you know, others who were really on the progressive cutting edge of, of thought. But, look, I, you know, failed um, stats and I ecology <laughs> and I came out with, you know, anthropology, human geography and sociology as my main things. What am well, I going to do aren't they that? useful? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, exactly. So I know someone said to me, well, you can either become a social worker, Maggie, um, or a town planner, and I didn't want to do either of those things. And so I was a hard worker. I'd always yeah. had a second job and worked, you know, 20 or 30 hours a week. And so... I just applied for jobs and I applied to Qantas for a graduate program and the ABC for a graduate program. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And then my first job was as the public relations assistant at the Spastic Society of Victoria. For a young young feminist, I landed in an environment where they still ran the Miss Australia Quest, which was not attached to my job. Right, but but still. um, Yeah, Yeah, I'm sorry about that. I was really challenged by this idea of of going into this corporate world. What was it really corporate, not for profit, but sort of working through there. Um, Six months later, I um, I I was poached to go and work for a book publisher, and I really really found home and. Um, Which one was it? Can I ask? Macmillan. Macmillan. Oh, lovely. Book publishers, yeah. And this incredible man called um, Alan Davidson, who I still know to this day, was an extraordinary man. He had to take for personal reasons about uh, six to nine months off from memory. But um, right. so I was thrown in the deep end. I got to run the marketing and, and publicity for uh, not um, for uh, um, people like Bob Bottom and Ita Buttrose and oh, remember sitting fantastic. in a car with Ita and just being sort of blown away. She <laughs> asked me as a 20, just 21-year-old, had I bought my spring wardrobe yet? And it was autumn and I was sort of thinking, <laughs> oh, I've got a pair of jeans and a coat. So, um, you know, lots of exposure there. Yeah, yeah. And so, look, I, then I just had a series of jobs. I've I, was really lucky enough to be asked to be an assistant publisher in a very small publishing firm. So this uh, is you moving to different publishing houses along the way? Yeah, they okay. were those two. And then um, uh, my my then um, boss, uh, who's an amazing woman, incredible role model, Susan McCulloch. Oh, God, that's great to hear. Yeah. What was her name? Sorry. Susan McCulloch, and she was a, 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 an art a journalist and a father had written the Encyclopedia of Australian Art. She wow. she came from a very very rich um, art background, and um, she was she was uh, it was a bit of a hiatus in the business. And yeah. so we talk, and she got a call actually asking if if I could go and work with another company for a, 
a, a period of time. And we were, it was a very small company. We needed the money. So yeah. I went and worked for a man called Michael Edgley. And oh, that little it. known name that nobody knows about. <laughs> yeah, so Michael was Australia's largest, you know, um, he was. promoter of, of acts. And I, I think I was about 24, 25. And, that um, sounds like a dream job, can I just yeah, say? Yeah, How yeah. fabulous. Yeah, and so so I got to work there for the next three years, um, touring everything from Monster Trucks to James Brown to, you know. Still, still in the marketing PR kind of arm? In publicity mostly. And okay. I used advertising and publicity, I think <laughs> it was called in those days. And yep. worked with some really wonderful women who, as my peers and yeah. learned a lot and just got able to experiment and write ads. The funniest line that I think I ever wrote was ball-bearing, tearing action uh, for, <laughs> for a TV commercial about monster trucks. But, you know, it, it was fun, it was busy, it was hard work. But one of the and very, time, very different from the book publishing, I would have thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which and is so all very still, sort of quiet and serious and academic. And still, well, maybe, but, you know, I'm still, I'm still going, what am I going to be when I grow up? Oh, okay. So you hadn't sort of landed and gone, okay, this is what I was looking for. And I say to my daughters to this day, your 20s are a social experiment. Just go and find out as much as you can. Now, that's me really projecting my 20s, which were what's going on in the world. Let me find out as much possibly can and see if I can have a go and adapt my skills. So, look, I I work. Can I ask, sorry, can I just ask, how old are your girls now? Um, 23, 24, oh, no, 24, 25, 26. Right. So my, so I've got a son who turned 18, who basically left school at the, the end of 2019 and he's in second year uni and he hasn't met anyone because they haven't been allowed in. Poor thing. That's I know. I, I'm projecting exactly the same way, going, you've got to get out, you've got to go and get drunk and meet all these people. <laughs> it's like, yeah, can't do yeah. any of it. Different generation too, like, yeah. you know. Um, they've got the internet. <laughs> we didn't, <and laughs> well, we that's didn't true. Have, we didn't have any of that. Um, we had to go exploring. Okay, yeah. so um, what happened after Michael Edgley? So I got asked to go and be um, an executive executive producer of a television, small television company that was associated with a post-production studio. And the reason they asked me was because Edgeleads had offered me masses of opportunities, yeah. one including um, being one of the, the team that helped set up the comedy club at the Hilton, which was oh, a, an alternate um, stand-up venue. I love yeah. comedy, just obsessed by comedy. And then the other opportunity was, you know, and, and to be frank, probably wasn't a lot to do with me, but just to, to helping Channel 9 do a um, couple of things with the Moscow Circus. And there's there's always crossovers in media. Yeah. There's just exposure. Yeah. So um, I made a, a pilot uh, at that called Name on the Brain where we had improv actors and we ran this pilot at Channel um, ABC. Yeah. And uh, we invited all the comedic community there and um, a couple of the members of that comedic community went back to their job at um, Hey Hey It's Saturday and um, they told them about you. The, you know, used the idea. And right. so then they developed uh. that idea. And for um, all sorts of reasons, I won't name them, but they actually, my idea was just redundant because they had, they had seen the pilot and then utilised that as a, as a game on their show. 
So uh, I was starting to learn about the big bad world of um, people ripping off ideas and taking yeah, credit for things. Yeah, so. yeah, And look, I was super naive, right? Really young, yeah. and um, didn't cover my bases, and you know, was naively trusting. And so, look, we ended up sort of um, hooking into some of the connections in America and. We did a couple of productions for HBO with comedians here in Australia. Oh wow! Um, and set those up, and but my my heart probably wasn't really in it. And um, the owner of this conglomerate that was very successful said to me, "You know, how are you going? And what are you doing? And maybe we should move you into another part of the business." And at the same time, I was having, um, thankfully, but you know, in hindsight, but at the time my heart broken. And so I was really lost, Um, Jules. I was about 26. And so I booked a round-the-world ticket with um, KLM. I hopped on a plane and on my own, uh, and I'm very independent but not bolshy or brave like I wish I was, but I I ended up in Hong Kong. I ended up in Bangkok. I ended up in um, Phuket. I ended up then um, over in um, the Netherlands and stayed with a friend. And then, um, can I ask why the Netherlands? Was it just because KLM had a cheap flight, or is there well, was a, a combination of, combination of that? And <laughs> um, my beautiful friend had moved there, uh, and okay. um, I remember her telling me to. I said, "How do I? How do I know which is the bus stop I need to come back to?" And she said, "Just read the name." When you get on the bus, you just read the name to them. You tell them, tell the bus driver the name, and they'll understand. They're really great. She said a lot of them speak English. Should be fine. And so one of my one of my the the running jokes in my family is that uh, um, I hopped on the bus in Den Haag, asking to go to Bushholt. And And sorry, you have to tell me what the joke is. (laughs) Yeah, Bushholt means bus stop. So I, I had been reading, I, I want to go to the bus stop, and he just kept, and he was the one of the few people who didn't speak English. Speak so English. it's just sort of telling about my um, worldliness, which wasn't really huge. Um, I ended but however, up I mean, can I just say, to go on your own at that age is, is still, it is very brave. And, I mean, I did something similar at, I think it was 27, and I remember having just the most wonderful adventures and, but also being incredibly lonely. And to this day, I can't talk to anyone about it because no one was there with me. Yeah. It's, that's it's, tough. It's a, that's yeah, tough. it's it's one of yeah. those things no one talks about when they talk about travelling on your own that you're never going to have anyone to share it with later on. It's but anyway, true. that aside. It's true. So okay, you, so you're, you're there in, in London. Amsterdam. Yeah, no, yep. I end up in London and I start working. And I'm going, I'm just recreating. Hang on, hang on. How did you get a job in London and what was the first job? Oh, because they're always rubbish. Yeah, da- data entry with a, a music company. And okay. I was like, and seriously, my attention to detail is really bad. So um, I just, I was at home one night and I was crying and I thought, you know what, you came here to travel and you haven't got any money. So rather than working at something really shit that you don't like, why don't you get a job travelling? So who Ooh, has jobs travelling? Okay, tour guiding. Let me look at the look them up and ring around. And so I ended up at Kentucky. Oh yeah, but it, 
never been on a tour, had no clue what it was, uh, wouldn't have ever gone on a tour, if you, you know, for all the money in the world at that stage, uh, did a gruelling 30-day training trip where I wanted to leave often and then right. started to take tours around Europe and some of my best friends or the people I most love in the world uh, were also fellow fellow tour drivers and and um, tour guides. Wow! I went to a I reunion can't... about five years ago, and I've never yeah. laughed so hard in my life. I was picked up <laughs> at the airport by Noodles, uh, Peabody, uh, Shoulders, and Bert. None of their real names. <laughs> so um, you know, it was a time in my life that I, I a lot of people would were really bagging, you know, and said, "Oh my God, can Chicky? That's so this and that." I tell you what, the people I met, it was really extraordinary and some of the greatest freedom I had and I loved it. I loved it. And, right. Um, yeah, and so I was getting, you know, I think it was about 28 and, you know, I had a, a, Hang on, a, I just have to ask though. So you did, I'm just really interested in Contiki tours and how after just 30 days you are thrown into, okay, now you're taking people on a trip. Well, how does that well, actually work? Do you, yeah, they're, they're really well organised, Jules. No, they're, oh, look like folders. Oh, good, okay. Folders of notes. I had to be able to um, stand backwards in Paris in the night and be able to tell people that coming up on their left and their right, which was the opposite to my left and right, yeah, were different right. landmarks and what those landmarks meant and what the stories behind them were oh, and do what? it while their <laughs> eyesight was on the Eiffel Tower or on the on Notre Dame or the Place Talk de la about Concorde. Talk the wolves. Well, it, it's actually once you pay attention, it's not, it's not that it's hard. Not, okay. But the funniest moment was when a man called Mike was at the back of the bus in my very yeah. first trip and he and his few mates were up the back too. And he said, yelled out, Margie, can you do one of those history talks? <laughs> and I, I looked and I literally said over the microphone, Mike, really? You want one of my history talks? He goes, yeah, yeah, really like them. And the big joke was that my voice is really soporific and it was after lunch and then they needed to go to sleep. <laughs> no. So they asked me to do a history talk because that way they could go to sleep. This was the era of Walkman's jewels. This was yeah, the okay. era of, you know, um, uh, you know, playing, playing, um, you know, good, um, good late eighties, nineties music. So yeah, uh, look, but I, I came home. Uh, in that uh, in that Christmas, uh, I think it was a via New York and a few other places to kill around the world. And I um, I was home for Christmas, and a couple of things happened. I fell in love, or I started oh. to you know uh, connect. Yeah, started to connect with someone. I hadn't quite fallen in love, and at the comedy festival at um, the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. People had um, were in a bit of trouble. The, the person who'd been working with them uh, as the CEO and director um, had um, been done a runner. Well, no, he, he left. So right under what circumstances? And they had uh, two or three months to put the festival together, and I wasn't uh. doing anything. And what's interesting is when I was at Michael Edgeley's, I looked at a piece of paper, I looked at one of the, the Age articles one day and in it, it there was a picture of Tori McBride who was running, then running the festival and in its early days. 
Yeah. And I said, oh, I'd really love to run the comedy festival one day. And I know the person sitting next to me laughed and said, oh, yeah, busy you. Wouldn't we all? <laughs> yeah, and so there was this sort of opportunity. And so I didn't go back to Europe. I, I had enough and it wasn't my life's work uh, as a, being a tour guide. Um, not to say that it can't be for some people. Yeah. And so I got to, to run the festival and then I was asked um, by the, the How board. How amazing. That's and the just incredible. And the management committee to do the next one. So best job in the world, most amazing people to meet. Um, oh, no, you know, love comedians, love yeah, them. Yeah, did a bit of remodeling. And, um, yeah, put us back on, put put them back on a path. And at the oh, same well, time, um uh, I I um, got married. Uh, yeah, quickly. congratulations! And um, my then husband came home uh, after after a really bad day. At uh, I'd been called at three in the morning. Three in the morning, a car had driven past our offices in Fitzroy, knocked off the top of a fire hydrant. The fire hydrant had shot water into the air. It had landed on the roof of our office, oh, and no. just the office roof had collapsed. And oh I got a call God. from the fire brigade saying we need to open the, the door. They opened the door. The water just flew down like a waterfall and inside were computers just floating oh down. Oh, my goodness. I never thought about that, that that kind of. You wouldn't think a fire hydrant going off could potentially make your roof fall in. Yeah. So, so what did we, you do then? So we all got it back together, but, you know, my, my, um, my partner was – saying, look, we, you know, you were so little and he'd been through a breakup uh, with a previous partner and he said, You've got, we've got no money and there's this opportunity. And um, and that was in Port Moresby to go and work up there, for him to work up there for a couple of years. And, wow. you know, we painted a pretty rosy picture of it and we thought, yeah, you know, well, we could go up there and, earn enough money for a house deposit and I can come back and get another job in the arts. You know, I've had this history of being able to land on my feet. And anyway, we went to have a little look. It was, it was not what I'd expected. Um, we, Why? What, 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 what was, what was well, different? Well, I think the first day I looked out the window and there was um, two men with AK-47s walking up and down the street. Oh. So, um, and you went, so hmm. yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't sure. And after about eight weeks, of living there, yeah. when we moved there, um, I called him at work and I said, you need to come home now. It's, it was about lunchtime and he said, are you hurt? Has something happened? I said, no, 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 I'm good. Um, you know, setup's really good. I'm fine. I just need you to come home now. And it's like literally five minutes down the road. So we yeah. came home and I'm not ashamed to say I, I, I literally slammed him up against the wall and said, you need to get me pregnant now or I'm, not, I'm going home. I'm so bored. <laughs> Because I'd wow. been to what was commonly called a stitch and bitch class and there were women, you know, and that's what they were enjoying doing. What is not, a stitch and bitch, like needlepoint and gossip? They were sewing, Jules, and I don't sew. I staple. Oh, no. I don't have, like, <laughs> the school hems were stapled up. It's, it's, yeah, gotcha. It wasn't, so I, I was like, I need to do something. I've just come off the back of the comedy festival, 16-hour days. I've landed here. I'm, you know, trying to make the best of it but I can't do that. I need to do something else. And he, he said to me, I thought we were going to travel. And I said, well, yeah, but let, I'm going to change our mind. So this is when the story sort of gets even more interesting because I, okay. had, I had baby Rose and beautiful 
beautiful rose air um, in June 1995. And I flew down to Melbourne for for that. And then we was very tired coming home. It was about six to eight weeks afterwards, might have been a bit longer, and my husband had been down with me and, you know, he'd flown back. And he'd flown down to bring us back again. First baby, you know, all this, I was falling asleep. Well, I know when you say tired, I'm like, yes, that's just one of the many things that you have yeah. to deal with. I was falling asleep in my dinner, you know, like a bit oh, sort right. of extreme. And I discovered I was pregnant with twins. Oh, I've been there. <laughs> and uh, this right. was this was six weeks after my baby was, my first baby was and, born. Oh, my God, Margie. So went back to Port Moresby and... Um, I didn't actually know it was twi- I twins. I knew I was yet. pregnant. Didn't know it was twins. But at about um, 17 weeks, I, I miscarried one of the twins. So oh. it was quite a late miscarriage and I was up in um, Moresby, which is um, not the most advanced healthcare, but there's an amazing man up there. Um, and so uh, uh, I held on to that pregnancy and I did give birth to my second daughter, Ruby, in Port Moresby oh. Hospital, which was hilarious because I had, you know, um, all of the Papua New Guinea and national women around me giving birth silently and, you know, I was... Oh, the, that's their thing, is it, that they do it no, in no, silence? No, no, it just was just, oh. you know, I was, um, I couldn't generalise like that, but I I was this, um, I think... You were the noisiest well, there. In pidgin <laughs> English, they said, in big pillar woman, she make um, big noise. So, uh, <laughs> so you know, we, we had Screaming Ruby. your head off. Yeah, we had Ruby. I was home within three hours back at the, you know, at the two How babies. was that, though, having, having lost one of the twins so far into the pregnancy? Was it very traumatic or was it kind of, I've got, I've got one, at least I managed to keep one, plus, of course, you had another little one. Yeah, I was quite pragmatic, to be honest, Jules. I was no, right. I, I just, yeah, quite pragmatic I know, about well, it. Well, I know. I, I did have twins, but I was sent to someone just the other day. I reckon they were three before I thought that they were going to survive. Like just the whole way through, <laughs> all through the pregnancy, and, the, and the, there was just this part of me that went, you might lose one, you know, just get it, get your head into it. So, um, so I do know that feeling. Yeah. So, look, all you had, I, I was just up to here. I had Ruby and Rose. They were 10 months apart. Gosh. And 10 months, 10 days. And, and you know, I had some great friends. My friend Helen had had two kids 11 months apart and she was there and we had good fun. And then um, and then I was really um, pregnant with Grace, my third. I had another miscarriage in between and maybe another pregnancy, I'm not sure, but I found something I was really good at. I li- literally look at my husband across the room and yeah. like, be falling pregnant. It was <laughs> it was very um right. Very and how, how so how old were the so the kids were the other kids were, did you say ten months? So it rose and ruby ten months apart and then Grace came seventeen months later, but we had oh, gosh, oh my goodness, that is though that is very tight for three young babies. Yeah. So we went back to Melbourne and yeah. we bought a house and um we moved into that but we renovated and we had to move around a bit and then my partner came home and said, I've got a job in Sydney. My family was from oh. Melbourne and I said, I don't want to go. And he said, it's just for a couple of years. So right. we headed we headed up here to, to Sydney where I still am to this day. Right. And, um, and six weeks later, 
I was dead on the floor of North Shore Hospital. Sorry? What do you mean? What happened? So uh, I'd been feeling really unwell for a couple of days. They had the three yeah. girls who were under three and um, or sort of three and a half, I think Rose was, and, and Grace was almost one. And um, uh, I've been feeling really unwell, really tired. I thought I was pregnant again and... I was like, well, and um, and then I got, I went downhill on the Sunday night, really dramatically, and um, we we um, called my brother and sister in law who live up here, and and they came over, and we were running off to a local medical centre, and they, she said, no, don't go to Royal North Shore Hospital, Maggie. I think you should. So uh, we were there less than sort of forty minutes, I think, and I collapsed and. I had a tumour in my spleen that had been causing me internal bleeding and I had about three oh, litres of blood God. just circling, like, like with nowhere to go, and so I was unable to function. And so the, another story for another podcast another day, but I, no. I, I had a, a kind of an out-of-body experience during that time. And Oh, no, um, tell me. We've got plenty of time. Tell me, what you, what happened? Well, I, 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 was, I was very conscious that... I was. You could see yourself sort of below yourself. That looking wow. down on my body. So, so then over the course of the next ten days, there were two emergency operations and a lot of investigations, and um, and then the arrival of the doctor to tell tell me that um, and, and my partner that I had a a really aggressive and a very rare cancer called a choriocarcinoma, which oh embedded itself in my spleen, which had sort of kind of lucky really um, that it didn't go to my brain or my liver or somewhere and yeah. go out of control there because it was quick to quick to be identified but very rapid, like exponential growth on this thing, um, very mathematical How? cancer. But it comes from, from um, having multiple pregnancies, multiple female pregnancies, and oh. um, it's, it, it, it's uh, you know, I think it, they worked out that I probably had seven pregnancies and three live births, you know, right. in a, that period with miscarriages and a number of things. Not sure whether it was some leftover placenta from the twin that had um, uh, not survived or whether I was right. pregnant again. And I'd had an early miscarriage that had turned into this sort of cancer, its growth. So, so look, oh spare you the gory details, but a lot of chemotherapy, uh, new to the city. Oh, so um, very, it was life-threatening. They didn't take out your spleen and the tumour and it was all done. No, 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 no. And it came back. So, Oh, my God. Um, and so fast forward, I'm one of the rarest people around. I've had it twice and I've. Uh, had there was more in my lung that they they took out and um, but my body was fighting it. So um, every time I go and see one of my doctors from that time, he says to me, "Have we written you up yet?" So um, uh, so you really are a, a, a true medical miracle. Oh, I don't know about that, but I, I well, you know, you know. I'm lucky, lucky to have got through. But yeah. I, you know, I still had three little girls, and I can't tell you the the, the impact for them as little people. You know, um, watching. Did you have to have the whole talk about mummy's really sick and might not be here, or no? We didn't ever do that. Didn't ever do that. But uh, but you weren't around a lot. Yeah, look, I I I, they were they were sort of my reason for being, and um, they were you know 
there was we tried to normalize things as much as possible um I was very lucky I didn't have a job I had to quit or anything else because I'd been you know out of the action in um Papua New Guinea but you know uh, fast forward and Grace is going to primary school and um She's moving into year one and I need to go back to work, right? I need something else. Yeah. Because what do they say? We all need something to hope for, someone to love and something to do. Yes. Well, definitely uh, you've got to have something to do or you'll crawl the walls. Yeah. So so I I looked around and I got a job at the ABC and – I went into As in ABC Radio News or TV, or, TV. Okay. We were doing some stuff supporting Gardening Australia, but look, I I, um, I lasted twenty four hours. Um, <laughs> I, I just I gave the job back to them. I just said, oh, maybe I wasn't ready, but I just didn't feel like it was a good fit. And they hadn't told the other candidate that they liked that it wasn't. They hadn't got the job, so I just handed it back and was really searching still, what do I want to be when I grow up? Yeah. And I went and spoke to a few people and I couldn't get the answers that like I was searching for, people wanting to push me into events. And I said, I can't even organise a six-year-old's birthday party. I've never done (laughs) events. Like I can lead a festival but I can't run an event. And and Um, at this stage you're roughly, what, 30, something uh, like that, would you think? I was probably about 30. A little bit older. Uh, six thirty-seven okay. at this stage, so like I'm back. It's to a s- long time not to have any idea what you want to do. Still, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm getting close to sort of um, forty, you know. Um, yeah, and it's literally Jules reinvention time, you know. Right. And yep. my best friend Andy, Andy Pert, beautiful human being, rings me from a conference and says. I've just found what you've been doing all your life. Oh, my She God. said, I've found your thing. I said, what? And she said, I'm at a coaching conference. And it was the first coaching psychology conference from the University of Sydney, coaching right. psychology in it. And I said to her, coaching? Seriously? That's bullshit. Why do people need a coach? Seriously? What sort of over-engineered rubbish is that? <laughs> In my great style. Anyway, yeah. Andy and I spoke. <laughs> and thank you to Andy uh, that the coaching sort of journey began. She'd been a really amazing consultant for 20 years already. Okay. And I hadn't really understood what she'd done. She'd worked at KPMG and Corporate Vision and others. And she just said, Mikey, I think this is really your thing. And then almost by sort of manufacture, but it wasn't, a lady called Diana Ryle who used to run Apple Computers in Australia was starting up, yeah. a, and this is in the early 2000s, starting up a women in leadership program called Explore Career Resilience. Okay. And she needed some facilitators. So I think I said to her, oh, I've never facilitated anything, and she said, you'll be fine. And yeah. I ran a couple of programs and really over the course of the next, you know, five to six years, uh, worked really well uh, with her and her team. I learned a lot and I also, um, you know, uh, had a lot of success. So the program went into some big banks and some big, oh, wow. and I, I, I learned an enormous amount about running programs, curating programs, facilitating, understanding what the corporate world required. So it's right. transferable skills were happening there. 
And then in about 2008, um, my my husband um, decided not to be my husband. And That's an interesting way of putting it. And he, <laughs> he was his choice. He repartnered right. with his, his very first girlfriend. And so, and they're still together and they're very happy. So, um, but there was a lot of um, trauma around that for me. And shock. And shock. And, and um, at the same time, I was trying to think about, you know, what I was doing. And I um, was away, um, you know, about a year or so later with, my kids at my beautiful niece's wedding. It was the most wonderful wedding. And I um, I hadn't eaten. I was quite stressed and I hadn't eaten properly. And, you know, I had a couple of glasses of champagne max and I'd had a couple of coffees in the morning, no water. So I was dehydrated right. and hungry. And I got home and about 1 o'clock in the morning and I'd put my kids to bed. They got to bed themselves as teenagers, but, you know. Yeah. And my parents was in the, uh, in another room in our little cabin and I went to bed and I thought, gee, I'm hungry. I wonder if we've got some food. In the-. And I got up really quickly and took a couple fainted. of steps towards the kitchen and I fainted on the cold, hard, uh, sweet oh. floor. And so I cracked my jaw right in half here and I broke uh, the joint that the goes chip, in here. Uh, the mandibular Yeah, joint. and I smashed all my my teeth up and so I was unconscious oh for a couple of hours. <laughs> I was unconscious for a couple of hours and couple of hours. Mm. That's ages for, mm. for I mean I, I've fainted twice in my life, but I think it's only been minutes. Yeah, well no I have knocked myself out. So yeah. off to the hospital and and oh, you God, know. your your parents and everyone must have been freaking I know it's with you with all this damage horrible. for yeah and not waking up. Horrible. Well I woke myself up and you know, I thought that I'd just um, had a few teeth in my mouth and I, I just I, I knew who. I said, remember saying to myself, who's the Prime Minister? Julia Gillard. What day is it? Where am I? It was like I'd watched too many movies um, and I, I knew what I had to Drilling ask myself. Yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, look, that broken jaw Amazing. put me out for three months where I was completely wired up and I, I groaned, spoke, I spoke. And I had this wonderful client that I, you know, and I was transitioning out, you know, on my own maybe, but I had this wonderful client called Rhonda Brighton Hall and she was the, you know, head of OD for, for one of the big banks here. And So what does OD say? Uh, organisational development, so all okay. the leadership programs and everything. And she's got her own really amazing business now called Moi, Make Work yeah. Absolutely Human. She does some incredible work. And I was working, you know, Popping in to see Rhonda, still sort of having some conversations with her, and and she, she was really sort of um, empowering for me. Like she let me keep working, and um, and I, I was just really grateful for that. And yeah. um, and then it was really the moment when I realised in in the January, um, and this is probably about two thousand and. Uh, Nine or ten that I, yeah, uh, I, um, and this is when the lady said, "You're the woman who, who redefined rock bottom." Because I was divorced, I had to sell my the family home uh, because I didn't have any money because I 
didn't have any. Been divorced. Well, I didn't have any insurance either on my right. um, career or my work and I um, spoke for a living and, uh, you know, I'd broken my jaw. Oh, and back. so in her yeah. mind she was just, but I really didn't want to be defined like that, Jules. I didn't. I didn't love that at all. I love you, um, Maggie. <laughs> and I appreciated this lovely woman. She's a beautiful woman. You know, was being very empathetic. But it, it it was a great opportunity for me to think about who I choose to be and who I wanted to be, particularly for my daughters. Yeah. And during my divorce, I'd said I didn't have any clue where I was heading. Right. I didn't like where I was going to live how I was going to live, with whom I was going to live and, you know, what that all meant. And so I remember saying to myself, you know, Margie, you got, you just need to show up. You just need to keep showing up every day and when you, you're standing at your daughter's weddings, whatever they might look like, you will be, they will look at you and go, oh, there's Margie, she's tall, dignified and elegant. And I I remember this is super important to me, right, because I, I was so out of sorts for the whole. Not feeling any of those things. No, and I thought that's that's what I want people to see and that's what I want to be. And tall can happen with a pair of high heels. That's sort of like standing tall rather than yeah, okay. physically being tall. The elegant is sort of not speaking poorly of others and the dignified and and going about my business and, yeah, that meant being a great mum and, you know, but I, I was really clear on that. So that sort of allowed me to get through quite a lot of uncertainty. And then um, I decided in the January after my, you know, mouth was, uh, I had two more years unwired. of dental work. Yeah, unwired, but Ugh. two more years of dental work. And Ugh. another of my dearest friends in Melbourne, Lee, you know, her husband Chris was a dentist and he did it all for 50%. So I used to fly down to Melbourne oh. and see my mum and my sisters and my friends and get this dental work. And uh, I do I do feel to this day quite violated when people have to stick anything inside my mouth. It was just, it was quite traumatic, that part of it, yeah, that bet. getting better. But um, so it started Graham Consulting and people say, why did you call it Graham? Um, like literally my accountant was saying to me, get get a name now and I, I couldn't find a domain name and then unbeknownst to me, the name Graham is my name backwards, Mark. Ah, yes, yes. And it's also the names of my children and I, Grace, Rose, Ruby and Margie. It also means, which is the The reason meaning you put into it. (laughs) Well, the reason we chose it was it's great relationships always matter, right? And that was what we were trying to build there. Great relationships always matter. So so that was what was important to me. And I thought, well, I'm coming at this whole consulting thing from a different lens. I know that the work, if you're going to be a good consultant, your client doesn't need you anymore after your intervention. They're able yes. to sustain themselves. So that's I one of our that principles. Yep. And the other thing was, like, let's have relationships and not just sort of try and force feed you programs. Let's see what that what that looks like. So it was coaching, was doing these coaching programs, and I, I got to work with um, 
uh, a really amazing man for the next 10 years after that until his right. passing at the beginning of last year, and that was Professor Tony Grant from Sydney University. And he and I started wow. a separate company called Coaching Consulting International, and we ran leader as coach programs through really major organisations. And I also right. ran Graham Consulting, which did all the team and coaching stuff. And so um was really saddened at Tony's passing last year, uh, way too yes. early. And so that company closed and, um, you know, his legacy lives on right throughout the world. He was the father of coaching psychology. But what it gave me was just the most extraordinary confidence, mentorship, um, opportunity, uh, laughter, because we didn't take ourselves seriously. And it was, you know, it was really extraordinary. And at the same time, Graham Consulting kept growing and, and, being a business and they say that your business doesn't really hit its straps till 10 years in yeah. and I'd have to say you know that's even I've been doing this for 20 years but I would say that that we're really hitting our straps now where people are um people are refer are referred to us you know we do work with teams that's really transformative and and people don't need us anymore and so we go on to the next client and the next client oh, and I've got this beautiful goodness. community of people but working together where we understand what we all need and we try and make that curating the right experience for people and for and for each yeah. other. So, you know, um, I'm 58 years old now. I, I, you congratulations. Know, I, I can't, oh, I don't know whether that's something you congratulate it someone is. on. I'm 54, <laughs> nearly 55, and I'm proclaiming it from the rooftops. <laughs> I just think it's a wonderful decade. Yeah, so, um, uh, you know, and I've, I feel like I've got as much energy as I had at 37, so we just um, need to see what's next. I'm not Well, a- I was going to say, what is the what's next, or you're not thinking ahead like that? So, look, I'm going to be really honest with you, Jules, as I've been right throughout this conversation. Yeah. Um, when this part of my work life is over, I um, a couple of things that I want to happen. Um, I'm still single. Um, yeah. Uh, and I have a dog called Bob, and I can picture myself uh, in a tinny with Bob going fishing on a river somewhere. Oh, I love it. Yeah. But I, I, I love podcasting and I love radio and I've got a really great podcast the podcast one network have um and now the listener network was so kind to me I did a podcast with Janine Alice called super women we ain't and that was just so much fun and I saw the name I must have seen it when I was looking you up but I saw the name of that and thought what a brilliant name yeah well Janine thought of that because she's so clever and wonderful and she thought of this amazing name and then the two of us just got together and you know, basically trying to say life is not an Instagram post. The reality sits there. If you want to be whatever you want to be, whether it's in work or life, you know, let's let's tell some stories. Let's be real. Um, <laughs> and so that was a lot of fun. And then um, they're very kind and um, in in accepting a proposal to do um, what's still ongoing a, a um, podcast called Fast Track, which is about career and career conversations. Because I okay. wanted people to be able to go on their commute or their walk, pop their earpods in, listen to someone else who's had a career story, a topic. And, you know, we're up to episode sort of 75 or something and, you know, it's really it's doing really well. So super excited about um, doing that. So what's the dream? Maybe country radio, maybe keeping on podcasting, uh, the dog, going fishing in my tinny, you know, 
Sounds pretty good. Yeah. So, but uh, look, uh, I've still got energy for what I do and I love it. And I'm, I'm trying to continue to grow the business and scale it up, which is, which is often a challenge. Well, throw in a pandemic and it makes it even harder, but there's nothing that we lust girls like, you know, something to get our teeth stuck into. So true, so true, Jules. Yeah, have you found that? Yeah, I have. Look, I She's the Boss actually came up out of the pandemic. So mm. did my podcast series, and I think I've done 150 episodes now. People um, think it's just, yeah, yeah, you just go in and do a podcast, but there's a lot of effort. There's so much in. around it. And I'm very lucky because my son does all the graphics and everything, so I haven't monetized it at all yet, no, which is very silly great. of me. Um, and then I've and then the YouTube channel as well. So and and my big hairy audacious goal is to start a TV network for women. So that wow. is what I want to have up and running by the end of this year. Wow, go um, you! I love those B hags. <laughs> Oh, yeah, why not? Like, I mean, as I said, we are old enough now. This is our best decade. Let's just go for it. That's mm-hmm. my attitude. Although I was talking with my partner about how great it would be for us to get a bus and just travel around Australia and do podcasts and YouTubes as a travel thing later, which um Wow, it's like Heather Hewitt cool. doing the back roads thing. You could do your yeah. version. Yeah, fantastic idea. Would be great, but I love talking to people, so that's my biggest thing. And I'm inherently nosy, so I love hearing about people's journeys. Now, I've got another question for you, one that a journalist threw at me and said I should ask people, and it's my favourite question, which is, is there a quirky fact that most people don't know about you that you'd be up for sharing? Um, (laughs) It's a good one, isn't it? Yeah, it's such a good question. Especially when you're really open because you have told me just about everything I imagine. Oh, there's more. Um, Uh, No, Jules, it's quirky, but it's not that quirky. But I don't have any food memories and I do not think about food ever. Really? Food. It's not your thing. Food just doesn't, I don't, if you'd started to talk to me about or ask me what I cooked yesterday, I couldn't tell you. I literally do not wow. have any food memories. I cannot tell you. I can enjoy meals, you know. Oh, there's a, an amazing Japanese restaurant locally to me that I'm not going to tell you about because I don't want anyone else to go there. It's it's incredible food. But I don't think about it. I go, right. oh, I have to eat, so maybe we so should go there. So it's a fuel and a, and a means to an end and that's it for you. I, and my sister rings me and she starts telling me about something she's made and and when she finishes, I say, you know I didn't hear any of that, don't you? So <laughs> my quirky fact is that, and most people don't know, I, I literally don't care about food. And if they invented a pill that I could swallow that would mean that I got all the nutrition that I required and I didn't have to think about cooking, I'd be fine. Wow, that is quirky. I don't think anyone's ever told me that before. <laughs> and no food memories, like no food memories. Can remember people's names, where they were standing, how I felt what they were doing, but nothing to do with food. Food. Isn't that funny? One of the biggest challenges wow. parenthood was remembering, remembering to feed my children. Yeah, well, one of the biggest challenges for me is just trying to come up with something different to feed them, but I won't go into that with you because I know that you're not interested. <laughs> I blank out, completely blank out, Jill. Okay, second, um, just that, let me just ask the one question I asked that is apropos of nothing because it doesn't really fit with anything else I ask, but... I love my iPhone and I love apps. Have you got any apps that you use for business or for pleasure that you think are great that we should know about? So I don't want to just the banking and I'm going to assume banking, email and social media is a given, whether it is or not. Anything else? So this might be a bit boring, but my Hey You app, 
Oh, what does that do? Hey, you, it allows me to order coffee anywhere that I am and oh. I just walk up and pick it up. So in my local cafe, which is amazing. Is it just coffee or any food? Uh, food, food anything. And this, ama- the, hey, this amazing you. woman who, in, who was part of the team that pulled this um, app together, I mean, seriously, gone off in COVID because it's contactless. Don't have to go and pay for your coffee anyway. Wherever you are, you can just order what you want and it says and it'll be ready in five minutes, seven minutes or two minutes. And I use wow. that every day My and it's attached to my Apple Pay. So everything's just super convenient there and um, that's fantastic. But she wrote a book called 148 Dates or something and as well. Oh, that new oh book. Yes. Yeah, she's right, amazing. That woman who, who, yeah, yeah, okay, I know yeah. the woman. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah, so she started Hey You, which is a fantastic thing. That's look, brilliant. I've never heard of it. And the other one is Rain Parrot. Oh, what does Rain Parrot do? It tells you it's going to rain in your area <laughs> in a, in a, and, and when and what time and how heavy. And so oh. I love to walk and I hate getting wet. So Rain right. Parrot is. I just check on Rain Parrot and it says in 45 minutes it's going to lightly shower. And so I think, okay, I'll go on my 45-minute walk today. So That is amazing. Oh, look, I love it when people tell me about new ones. Someone told me the other day about one called One Password. Have you heard of that? Uh, not sure. I've got last so, password. So apparently you go in, you set up One Password, and it will allow you to use that password on any account ever anywhere it just sets up encrypted ones and you just put in your one password. Amazing. So I'm going to go and do a bit of investigating about it as well. Well, Margie, I could talk to you for hours and hours because this you are great. Um, if people want to work with you or they want to connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Just go to the website, Graham Consulting, G-R-A-M Consulting, um, and we will. Uh, you can easily contact us through there right. and or LinkedIn, uh, our great connector app of all yeah, time is the old LinkedIn. So I think that's how we got in touch with each other, Jules. So uh, whichever mode you can, but um, yeah, we're really uh, happy to chat to people about their needs and how they can actually have a really productive work life. Fantastic. Well, I tell you, uh, if I was listening to this and I had a team, I'd be straight on to you. Oh, you're wonderful. Thank you, Jules. And thanks for taking <laughs> the pleasure. time and being interested. I don't often get to tell that boring, long story about oh, how I got from brilliant. here to there, but um, looking forward to hearing how the TV channel for women goes. Thank you. <laughs> Take care. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she'sTheBoss.com.au.